Hello and uh, welcome to the SBS Cycling Podcast. We're here again for another week. Uh, well, it's been two weeks really. Um, I'm Philip Gomes and with me today are a duo of regular, regulars plus a new entrant in cycling journalism in Australia in relative terms. And one whose writing has uh, has featured on Cycling Central and I think he's also featured on Ride, uh, Jamie Finch-Penninger. Um but let's start with uh, with one of our regulars, uh, as always, Anthony Tan. Hello, Phil. I will blog shortly. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't scolded you yet. That's all. That's okay. Yeah. You know, no, you're, you're Jamie, building. Jamie, Jamie I'm, I'm just building to the, what do they call it, the denouement. And, and then, you mm. know, then you'll just do your thing and you'll drop your yeah. mic. Yeah. And everybody will be upset as usual, and then you'll just kind of walk away and leave me having to deal with the comments. Yeah, well, I know Jamie's probably done a blog, you know, with you know quite effusive, and so I'm going to go the other way. The other way. Right. Yeah, after Roubaix. Yeah, I'm a bit disappointed that I haven't attracted quite the negativity yet in my um, career as Don't Danny worry. has managed. <laughs> That'll so. come. <laughs> um, Rob Arnold, uh, social media tells me you have a shiny new bicycle, or you've at least been riding something shiny and new well, and it's, blue. It is. It's blue. It's matte. So it's got a matte oh. finish. So it is a new bike. It's kind of shiny. The bits on it are shiny. It's a new trek, and I love it. The bits, and so much so that even though it was thirty-four degrees yesterday in Sydney, which is was uh, quite actually the hottest day in April on recorded history in Sydney. I couldn't help it. I snuck out at lunchtime and went to the beaches. Now, is this uh, the, uh, is there going to be a review of this bicycle and ride? Might be, but probably not. I think I'd, it's just been, it's been t- since two thousand and eight that I bought myself a new bike. Mm. So I don't really need to buy a new one because we're getting new ones through the magazine all the time to test. So mm. I sort of have been up to date. Yeah. So, much so you actually bought but, this, but Rob, this is mine. Yeah. You bought yeah, it. Is yeah. it the Amonda? It, it is the Amonda. Yeah. You heard it here, folks. This is... With pedals, 6.1 kilos. So is... I'm way under the UCI legal limits, which means I can never race. Mechan- well, I think I for... think Rob's mechanical doping here. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But I'm, I'm interested in this because, you know, obviously you have you have a pick of the litter because you do run through a lot of bikes, a lot of it reviews, It was complicated. It wasn't easy buying a new bike in my mm. job, I can tell you. It was complicated. I mean, I'm interested in the fact that you made that choice. That's That's kind of revealing. What made you make that choice? First of all, I like the way Trex ride. Secondly, I didn't want integrated brakes, so I didn't go to the new Trek, for example, which is, uh, but it has got uh, direct mount brakes and doesn't have disc brakes. Um, it has Shimano on it at the moment, but I have a view to uh, changing that to uh, SRAM ETAP, which is the wireless right. shifting. Mm-hmm. I don't, but you know, it's all part of a project. Bikes are projects now. Mm. You it's can get them and, and they're lovely, but I already know a couple of little bits and pieces that I need to change. Like I wanted to change the stem because I wanted it to be a little bit longer. And then yesterday I realised that if I change the stem, it would just be for vanity purposes. Because it actually suits me the way that it is. But I'd like it to look a bit better. Well, Excellent. someone called uh, Peter Sagan rides quite upright. Well, yeah. You know, I've got an H2 fit, which means that it's a little higher at the front than, than some can be. So this is probably going into way too much detail. But the, the, <laughs> the, 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 and, and I thought I like to be lower than this. But... You know, I'm getting older. Everyone gets older, apparently. I don't know anyone who's yet gotten younger as they progress through life. But um, anyway, the point is, uh, it's a lovely bike to ride. And hopefully it'll do as it's done for the last four days that I've owned it and get me on the bike more. Good. Mm. Excellent. Mm. Jamie. Thanks for asking. You're not exactly new to this podcast game. Uh, this is Jamie Finch-Penninger, by the way. Um, yeah. How's it feel? 
Yeah, well, um, I ran my own podcast for for a little while. It's been on a bit of a hiatus for the last month or so. Uh, technical issues kept um, Kate Perry, who was one of our regulars, from joining us regularly. So, and then Neil Vanderplug, who is the other regular who rides for Avanti, he's been overseas. So, there's been a number of issues, but we're looking to get back into it once the Australian racing season rolls around. So, that's not Kate Perry as opposed to Katie Perry, not the cricketer. Yeah. Not the cricketer, not the musician, I think <laughs> yeah, is yeah. what Tanny was referring yeah. to. Yeah. I think you were thinking of Elise Perry. So the Australian season is, yeah. around, is, your, is, is your hope. The Australian season is going to roll around. We're going to get yep. to uh, Grafton to Inverell. Is that the first? Uh, yeah, that that'll be the first Virginia. NRS event. Um, well, the first male NRS event. Um, the women, of course, have already kicked off with the Santos Women's Tour and they'll be doing the Mersey Valley Tour down in Tasmania on the 29th of April, I think, so... That'll be one to look forward to as well. Hopefully I'll get down for that. So, so yeah, looking you're, forward you're, to it all. You're, you're following the whole NRS series, what, what's left of it anyway. Mm, yeah, well, there's um, obviously been a few cancellations of races um, at the start of the season. So, yeah, a number of teams uh, looking to do more overseas at the moment and take their opportunities there where they can. But, of course, that has their own pro- that has its own problems as well, as we saw with the Tour of Sarawak getting cancelled recently mm. and uh, three Australian teams were out-of-pocket there um, and not racing and having to um, foot the bill for the flights back to Australia. So mm-hmm. Now, uh, you have a little bit of news, uh, something about uh, Oceania's? Yeah. Um, unfortunately, Nicholas Villiers from Oliver's Real Foods Racing had a very nasty crash there. He was in a coma for a few days afterwards and his team, yeah, thoroughly believed that his helmet saved his life that day. And he's just been in rehab since then and... Uh, last last report I heard, he's got about two weeks more, hopefully, you know, touch wood, until he gets back home to his family. So um, obviously the rehab bills don't come cheap. So the local cycling community has been pitching in to help him out with the fundraising costs. And the uh, Kurugang Cycling Club actually staged a fundraiser recently to raise some money for him. I think they raised 2500 But, you know, any little bit helps. So... Go over to Oliver's Real Foods Racing and check out their Facebook page. They put up a link to help out with the fundraising for Nick. So that's a good cause. Okay, um, let's uh, get rolling on to our topics for today. Today, we're going to keep it tight and discuss two events near and dear to our hearts, which is an event past, an event to come. The Tour of Flanders and Paris-Roubaix. Preview first, and preview. Uh, effectively, yeah. But first, the Flanders, which as usual offered up some of the best racing you'll ever see in a long season. Let's start with Anthony Tan. Oh. What do you think? About um, Flanders. Flanders. What happened? Flanders. What was that like for you? Would I? I'm just still trying to work out in my head whether I saw a real classic you know what was it fitting for a centenary edition but because you you wanted the ding-dong battle between the bone and cancellara but we didn't get that but i think we got something similar we got sagan and cancellara or even though sagan was just superior on the day so uh, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I still go back to being a bit of a romantic. I still wanted to see the couple, but that hasn't been there since 2012. So I guess it's it's starting to feel more comfortable now, this whole Claremont-Paderberg combo. 
Uh, you're hard to please if you didn't like that race. <laughs> really I, hard I to please. It. I liked it. I just Moor. don't know I whether. I loved the Moor, but yeah. I mean, that was an epic race from yeah. every, every sense of the word. But Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, okay, everyone went, came, you know, sat back and admired Sagan. You couldn't not. Uh, but, you know, when someone's just that good, you don't you don't see the there's so much the uh, sort of a tête on tête battle. Uh, well, I don't know. W- would you say that Sagan was that much better than Cancellara, for instance? Was it just that Cancellara missed that move? That, the timing um, was good. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm, good point. Mm, mm. Although, why if you know it felt like you know those final kilometres from the Partsburg to to the finish in Aldenada. Sagan was just playing with Cancellara. I mean, Cancellara, by all accounts, as a time trial specialist, should have been able to make up that time. It's just that Sagan, well, I don't know. He, he's, he's not as cheeky as like a Micah. He wouldn't wink at the camera, but you kind of felt it was one of those moments where he was completely in control. I didn't. I, th- I felt like it was a real pursuit. I, I remember sort of thinking, you know, pursuiting doesn't refine it. You know, it's not defined to the track. Uh, that's where the title comes in, but like it was, you, it was a genuine chase of, of all. And and when you know that, can, if it was the other way around, if if Sagan was chasing Cancellara, then you would have maybe relaxed a little bit more. But with Sagan up there, knowing what Cancellara can do with mm. his motor, mm. uh, his engine, his his body. <laughs> Let's be clear about what we're talking about. In Flanders, you know, he he can really, really take some time out of people. He can really put the hurt on. For me, the highlight was. Was it the Paderberg or the Kramen? I can't remember. The, uh, probably the Paderberg when uh, Cancellara came into shot insofar that they hit that, that uh, cobbled section and, and, and the hill and the moor and they knew that um, there was about 20 seconds and that's how they kept showing it on the GPS. But then all of a sudden there was a long shot and you could see Cancellara sneaking into the background when... when uh, when Sagan was away and you're like, oh, my God, it's a little bit like that uh, the Gilbert capture incident at the World Championships in 2010 where oh, the, it was good not to have the data on screen and just to see the image. Your thoughts, Jimmy? Yeah, well, I, I really enjoyed the race. I, I'm with Rob here. I, I don't think... Um, I think you're a bit hard to please there, Tanny. Um, oh, it's I, not to do with not enjoying the race. It's to do with whether it was a classic battle and yeah. because we've seen so many editions of Flanders and Roubaix before where it has been Bon and Cancellara and I guess, you know, whenever you you see these guys who are legends, heroes, whatever, and, and they're slowly losing some of their status, go, I mean, that's... I think, you know, I guess as a fan of the sport, that's... It's a little hard to accept. You, know, you have to move on. There's there's these new guys now. Yeah, we've, we've, got, yeah we've got the new generation now, Tony. That's that's the fun thing about cycling. You get you get cycles of riders, and we get to see the new greats coming through. And that that is Peter Sagan. I mean, mm. he is the guy that we have to get mm. used to winning all of these. You know, any of the monuments that he really wants to go for these days, because he's just got such versatility. But I think oh, that's that's a massive blanket to say that he can win at will. I think we we'll have to wait. You know, he's he doesn't have the climbing prowess to do a to win. I, I don't think I I could see him winning a I don't know maybe a Lombardia or something like that uh, or Liège best on Liège. I don't think he might in the future, but I don't think he's there. Yet. He's versatile, but. Perhaps, you know, those guys who in Liege are guys who also can do very well in Grand Tours. 
the women's race. We got to see a little taste of that. Um, it was a bit of a mess in terms of organization, in terms of getting that to air. Because I want to, I want to talk a little bit about the kind of the whole broadcast complexities. Um, because there's some question about that. I mean, obviously, we, you know, we've got this this men's race, we've got the women's race attached to it. Um, we didn't get uh, notification that we were going to be able to get vision of the race until Friday night, believe it or not. And a lot of people wouldn't know this from you know from the background. And there was potential for a live stream. There are technical reasons why we couldn't we couldn't do it. Um, but then even rolling the rolling the women's race into the men's uh, at the start of the men's race uh, was problematic because we had no rundown sheets, no nothing. We literally had no idea. So for those of you who actually watched the race, it was really interesting because um, Robbie and uh, and Tomo and the guys they had no idea what was going to pop up on screen, and they were just like, "What do we do? What are we talking about? How do we talk about this? No prep, no nothing." It was interesting. Any thoughts on the women's race at all? Oh uh, well, uh, I have. I have to admit, I, I didn't, I didn't see it live, so I didn't, didn't realize all those things were happening in the background. Uh, I mean, I, w- I would just say, you know, from an organizer's perspective, to have two world champions win the, the Ronda, you know, in its entire year, I think they're thinking, well, we we hit the jackpot here. Yeah, even even with that little bit that that was shown, because it was really only a few minutes worth of of women's racing that we saw in yeah. the live broadcast. Um, your thoughts on? Um, Elizabeth Armistead and that uh, and that finale. Yeah, it was great. Um, just a quick word on the coverage there. Um, I, I was watching it as live as possible. It was just a mess trying to get through all the streams and stuff that mm. they were trying to run. And um, Rochelle Gilmore and uh, Jose Debeer, I think. We're, yeah, we're trying to yeah. we're trying to commentate on it, and their commentary didn't even make it um, onto the onto the stream. So that was that was a bit of a mess, unfortunately. But the racing was absolutely top draw and. Uh, we saw um, a really, you know, top-level group come into the come into the bit after the Parterberg there, and Emma Johansson attacked, and oh wait, just before the Parterberg actually, Emma Johansson attacked, and Eliz- Elizabeth Armistead was the only one to follow, and that's the way it remained into the finish. And, and it was th- a, yeah. a very tight at the finish, wasn't it? Like Lizzie mm. only won by half a wheel, is that right? Or? Yeah, yeah, mm. less. I mean, it was really at the throw to the line which won it for her in the end. And yeah, it was just a superb um, team display by Bowles Dormans as well, who've been dominating the women's scene this this season so far. I mean, they've won all the the World Tour races, and they've just been. You know, and the next level really. You'd and say they've got an AR record amongst it and yes. everything. They just keep on keeping on, don't you'd they? You'd yeah. say they're the ethics quick step of women's racing, except they actually convert into wins on a regular basis. <laughs> <laughs> and, and everyone loves watching Lizzie win, don't they? Yeah. Look, it's it's she. I think she presents in a way that is professional, uh, but still very approachable. Um, and I think it's a, it's a, it's a nice continuation from Marianne Voss because she was exactly the same. Mm. Mm. Um, maybe that's a characteristic of the women riders. Um, with, the, with the men, maybe there's a little bit more distance. But cycling in general is, is a very approachable sport uh, for most of the athletes. So uh, it's good. And it's, it's, it's good to have... I don't, I don't want to sound... Uh, it's good to have an English-speaking representative. I, uh, this, the sport is so strong in Belgium, Belgium and France and, and, and other countries in Europe... That I feel that we really need to have that that Anglo representation somewhere to sort of advance the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I'm thinking incorrectly on this, but no, no, I'd I'd agree with that. I mean, obviously not every year. It's not going to happen every year. But I, I think in terms of 
you know, with this push these women are making year after year in terms of more coverage and why is it happening and what well, it is happening, but yeah, you, you need someone who can articulate their thoughts to a global audience as as they see it. Whereas if if you're not from a non-English speaking background, there's something that gets lost in translation. For example, you know, just speaking uh, off mic about Sagan after he won the world championships, you know, what he wanted to say about world peace and whether it was happening in Turkey or Syria or wherever, I, I wasn't sure. You know, we just knew that he wanted world peace. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And and you saw that even afterwards. It's 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 difficult, you know, to sort of parse what he's saying because the English is not as as good as it should be. And you know, as we were saying off mic as, as well. I mean, he's he's the kind of guy I think for the English speaking audience who lets his writing talk for I him. I think there's also this sort of assumption that he's going to come out with something that's going to be riveting. And he's a very good bike rider, and he he attempts to do his political gestures and he does and and he learned a lot from the tour of flanders where he was also on the podium a few years ago with cancellara mm. and we understand what happened there but um it, it's not to say that everything that he comes out with is going to be riveting or going to be a grab that is required we heard renat uh, uh, i can't remember his name who did the interview in for um sports uh, yeah and he was sort of wheeling him into into a line of questioning that he'd respond to but then and, and sagan's got his own line of thought he wants to talk about how how he saw the race and i think it's often contrary to what the commentators are saying and then that sort of catches them off guard and they don't know how to go with their line of questioning well he that, made, that's how yeah. i saw it as well yeah well, he, he made a nice tribute to antoine de martier and um dan mindgear so i mean and that was really occupying the public consciousness at the time and you know, I think it was a nice gesture of him to make a tribute to those two. Mm. And I think another thing that resonates with me from the race on Sunday was that it's, a, the, you know, the race that stops Belgium and we understand all of the nastiness that's happened in Belgium of late. And to see uh, Sepp van Mark, the, the local representative, in the break with Cancellara doing maybe one turn but basically sitting on and then he could have done a, a, a cheeky move and, and snavelled up second place because he, he was basically towed to the line in Ardenard. But then he had the good grace to just sit up and say, no, I'm not even going to go for it. And then we had Cancellara saluting second place, which is often the, a reference point for mockery. But when he did it, everyone understood hmm. that it was... The abdication that Spartacus is, thanks very much, it's been great and I've really enjoyed my run of success here. And second place today is to a world champion and a, and a star like Sagan is great. And and no one has lamented him or, or, or mocked him for his salute for second place because everyone understood it. And then to see in the background there, Sepp van Mark, with all the grace of coming across the line in third place, even though everyone, the dream scenario would have been for a Belgian winner after what they've been through, it didn't happen. Uh, what he did was, it gave me chills actually. I, I thought it was very touching. Yeah, the finish was just could not get any better with those three riders, really. Mm. And, mm. and and of course, you know, we're gonna we're gonna see them feature again. I think on the weekend, on Sunday. But it would be nice one time, just one time, to see Lotto Jumbo win a race. You know, <laughs> <laughs> they they're knocking on the door, but I don't. They, they, been a very rare sequence. I don't remember too many of those jerseys going up for victory salutes. Any thoughts on the the crashes during the race? Because we saw one eventful crash, which was with the, with BMC, um, which took out uh, Greg Van Avermaet. Uh, 
Yeah, well, he looked distraught on the side of the road, didn't he? Um, absolutely bawling his eyes out. I mean, I've had broken collarbones before and they hurt, but, I mean, I think I think the real distress was knowing that he wouldn't get a shot at um, winning Tour of Flanders, and I think he was in for a really good race that day. Um, just unfortunate the way that it transpired, taking out almost the entire BMC squad with the, the squeeze out from the peloton there, unfortunately. Yeah, I th- I think that it was ca- caused by someone flicking out a, a water bottle or something like that on the one of the cobbled climbs. I mean, f- for me, I was I was just glad we didn't see a crash caused by a race motorbike or something <laughs> like that because it it almost feels like it's getting um, it's 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 popping up a bit too regularly. So this will. The race, the racing is incredibly intense. I mean, Flanders was mm. fast, yeah. fast. Yeah, so yeah. it's not only the the riders and the peloton that's moving quickly. Everyone else has to move quickly in response to that. You know, we have a piece. Uh, we have a terrific interview on on the website at the moment with um, with Scotty Sunderland, who's uh, who's was involved in an incident like that back in. When was that? When he got hit by when Case Prem knocked him off in ninety eight. Yes, ninety eight. That's yeah. right, nineteen ninety eight. Uh, so he's well-placed, and of course he's also well-placed because he's been a DS, he's been in a car, mm. uh, he's working uh, with the NRS in terms of safety mm. on courses with motos and that sort of thing. So he's well-placed to, to give us his insights on this. And, you know, reading through that interview, you this is not an easy problem to deal with. And mm. I, I think even in Flanders, didn't one of the, um, one of the team uh, mechanics get run over? Yeah, that that was an ugly scene. I don't know if you guys called it. It was actually before the before the live coverage yeah. started. But um, yeah, that was a really ugly scene. But the, the the mechanic was out, and then there was another team, the team car, coming past, and he just got struck. And he's there. He's mm. on the road. He's got wheels in his hand. And yeah, yeah. Oh, there was an interesting press release. Actually, the BMC press release was, was basically very detailed, where Burkhardt yeah. was complaining about the, the bid on, on, on different things. But the, another sort of amazing press release came, or a story came from Trek uh, Segafredo, where they talked about this sequence of 20 kilometres where there were basically every bike seemed to have trouble. They had punctures here, there and everywhere. And there were directors riding bikes about a kilometre chasing after riders that they'd heard had punctures and they didn't know what was going on. And basically the only one from the team who was un, un, unaffected was Cancellara, who ended up second. And and But there's about seven or 800 words in this piece that describes this mayhem. And, and every bit of it is... Basically, there's nothing that you can do to prepare for it. That's the take-home message, and and that's what, that's what's appealing about bike racing, isn't it? And on that note, we will then switch to talking about what's coming up. So next on the agenda is the Queen of the Classics, Perry Rebay which we all look forward to every year and which is one of the biggest events that we do each year. Gentlemen, what can we expect on Sunday? What's the weather report like? Wet, wet, wet. Really? Wet, wet, wet. I spoke with Francois Tomazo, who's going to do the live for ASO on, uh, on, online uh, last night, and he said that there's a very uh, considered discussion about removing a couple of sectors of cobbles because they're simply going to be flooded. So that's how wet it is. Um, we saw in Scheldepraise last night that there was it was wet, but uh, apparently in the north of France it's been teeming down and, and the forecast is for it to continue that way. So it's been a while since we've had a filthy, muddy edition, but it's uh, 
shaping up? Well, I think um, Rob has just inadvertently <laughs> doubled the audience <laughs> for <laughs> Sunday night. Oh, no, it's not going to be dry. No, Woo-hoo! but if you Ratings. do, that's a thing, you know. It's, 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 we, we've been sitting here for years just waiting for a wet edition of, of Roubaix and because the wet editions are the ones that it, it's a lottery. It becomes mm. more of a lottery. Mm. Um, from a fan perspective, not from a writer perspective, they're the most epic, the most mm. enjoyable, exciting, interesting. Mm. Sadistic. Sadistic. Mm. Um, that's a good word. I like that word. <laughs> um, but for the writers, uh, it changes the race dimensions uh, significantly and for the teams as well. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, you, this is all these, ra- you know, these cobble races are just as much about you know your fitness and strategy but also people want to see superior bike handling and this is what you'll get is particularly in in uh in in Roubaix I I think though the one thing I've noticed over the years with Flanders and Roubaix is that you do get similar guys winning these types of races or doing well in these types of races but uh, with Roubaix, there's far more luck involved. Like you don't see a lucky winner of the Ronda, but you do sometimes see a a, a guy who's a surprise winner of Roubaix, like a hmm. a Frederick Van Sommeren, Van Sommeren, yeah, yeah. or something yeah. like that. You you just there's always a. I'm not saying it's not a worthy winner. It's just a surprise winner. Yeah, Stuart O'Grady, for example. Yeah. No, he was riding with yeah. Cancellara's team. He wasn't the number <laughs> yeah. one rider, was he? Yeah, and he yeah. goes away. And, but that, that day that O'Grady won, it was filthy hot, mm. 25 mm. degrees. Dusty. Um, mm. Even if it's not raining, the dust does create a havoc, so it still creates that aesthetic. Mm. It still looks feral and filthy and disgusting. It's what? funny that, sorry, yeah, Phil, it's, just, it's just yeah. funny that when Rob said that, I thought he was joking. It's, it's just because... I don't want to bring up the subject of doping, but it's 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 just because, yeah, this is what happens though. It's it's kind of my reaction and my immediate reaction when Ross is judo great. I think is is he making a joke? But he wasn't, you know. No, no, but uh, you know, Stuart yeah, won that race, yes. and uh, yeah, history is mm. history, you know. Mm. Does if it rains? If it rains, uh, yeah, well, yeah. it's going to be wet. That's the theory. And if it rains, mm. um, does this advantage? The Belgians and the Dutch much more than... No. It rains in other countries. I, I yeah, but yeah. other countries don't have these kinds of cobbles and these guys no, ride no, this stuff true. on a regular basis. So. I, I went, when Francois <laughs> told Rob's me... Now Rob's joking. <laughs> when Francois Sorry, told I missed me that. that. You were very dry. I, I was going... I, I have this burning image of, of uh, a photo of Alan Davis and it took me an hour to find it in my archives today, but it was from 2005 and he's lying in a puddle on the section uh, 6 of 2005 and, 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 and there's a... Daniel Riggi is next to him, but his head is completely immersed in this mud and I've put it up on Twitter if you want to have a look, and um, and and it, and it's f- it's just rad. <laughs> I mean, and and I've asked Alan if he has any recall of it, and I, I don't dare say he wouldn't, because, because <laughs> well, these well, sorts of he... things happen all the time. It's yeah. just that Graham Watson happened to be placed in the place to take the photo. Mm. But uh, when it is wet, it is, it's spectacular. You know, Hincappy slip sliding all over the road. I don't know what year that was, but there have been a few wet editions. And, and and they're spectacular to watch. Yeah, 05 was actually the first Roubaix I covered. I think Hinkepi was oh, 2002, but I uh, I do remember speaking with, you know, they, they, when Hinkepi was writing for US Postal, they got 
just the cockiness, you know, I was speaking with the mechanics prior, they said, you know, these wheels don't break and sure, sure enough, what wasn't the wheels that broke, I think it was the uh, head stem. Head, or yeah, it was the, 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 yeah, the handlebars yeah, 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 that, and, and the stem sheared right off the, right off the head tube and... George yeah. went right into the uh, into a ditch. Is there a GIF of that? Why isn't that circulating? That was hysterical. For I can a while. I can go back and look for it and, and create that GIF if you like. <laughs> Please. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there was another uh, there was another instance uh, with equipment. I think it was either Maggie Backstead or it was Thor Hushov. I'm not sure. Uh, showed up uh, and they hit Arenberg and he had uh, two new wheels that had not been tried before. New new set of carbon wheels and I think both exploded as soon as he hit Arenberg. Oh. And that was the race. Yeah. It's not a place where you really want to test new equipment. Not really. Mm. Tried and true. Gone are the days of suspended suspension mm. forks. Remember 93 when Gilbert Duclos Lasalle won and beat, oh no, it was a Ballerini won that year. No, Duclos Lasalle won yeah. with suspension. Was and that the Ballerini year? Ballerini was second. And, Didn't uh, John Tomac race that year as well? With, um, it's possible. Yeah, and he had suspension on the bike. Mm-hmm. We've seen some really wacky stuff. Steve Bauer's bike? They had Remember dual that? suspension Bianchi's a couple yeah. of years in mm. around 93, 94. And then Sky and were trying out rear suspension Pinarellos not too yeah, yeah. long ago. Yeah. So you've, you've gone from the Rock Shocks to the. Well, then, then Mappe decided, no, well, no suspension and straight forks. <laughs> uh, and, and then Maggie Bagstead went for a. <laughs> well, I didn't bring up the dope. <laughs> uh, and then Bagstead, he went for the titanium frame with the long. Fork rake, yep. and then it kind of went to back to carbon. Steve Bauer went with that super mm. laid back, super relaxed um, seat angle. Yeah, what angle. happened to that? Didn't that take right? off? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, that, the, that, the that couch, was, that was the a couch big yeah, bike. Yeah. It was yeah. like he was riding a Harley. Yeah, that, that was like that. the anti Obri, the, the revolutionary <laughs> idea that <laughs> yeah. went nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. So anti And I think this illustrates a point where. Roubaix is is so difficult, so hard, so interesting uh, for riders, machines, for everyone. That we see everyone trying to trying to squeeze a little bit of an advantage to do something a little bit different mm. to make a difference in that race because it is so unpredictable. Mm. You know, I mean, this year with Trek, Trek's just released a new bike, mm-hmm. which in effect is kind of like a dual suspension bike, but not. It's kind of it's, subtle. Yeah, it's compliance. Yeah, which can you which can be dialed in. Yeah. Yeah. Right, and I saw it in the shop the other day. How'd it look? A bit weird. Fabian rode one at uh, at Flanders. Yeah, but I mean, it, the the logic seems to add up. Mm. We've we've ridden what it's this uh, what do they call ISO speed decoupler, mm. but it's exaggerated now where you can make adjustments that give you up to twenty four mil of movement. Blah blah blah. That I might think be it's your next it bike. More comfortable. Rob. I'm not sure because Sydney's roads are getting <laughs> bad. Everyone be riding around on dual suspension bikes. This is what we're talking about wet weather. I mean, I know it's not Roubaix, but I guess the closest that we can come in recent years to a wet Roubaix was that stage three of the 2014 Tour de France, won by Lars Boom, when Vincenzo was amazing. I think Nibali should come up to Roubaix and have another crack at it. it it's pretty clear that he actually has the skill set to be able to. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If he had form. Yeah. What's yeah. he doing? We haven't heard about I think he's old nibbles this year. Trying to win the tour yeah. or something. No, right? Giro actually. <laughs> Is he holding on the cards? Oh, he's and trying training? to win the Giro. Yeah. Is he doing Giro tour or he's doing Giro for sure, but I don't think yeah. he's gonna do the tour. I think he's okay. doing Giro okay. uh, Olympics as his key goal. And Roubaix. And Roubaix. No. Oh. 
Maybe if he <laughs> listens in. Come on, Vincenzo. Now, just, just for the uninitiated, um, why do you want to watch Parra Bay? You want to watch Parra Bay because it has 52.8 kilometers of cobbles. They have 27 cobbled sections. Mm-hmm. And some of these cobbles are quite old. Old, old, old uh, Roman-style stones that the bikes have to be adapted to ride over. And, and the bikes are significantly adapted, even though they may not look like that, look like that mm. on your TV. Um, and there are some, uh, some significant uh, sectors, as they call them in the race, that, that help define the race, where it splits the race apart. We just watched it uh, here, show and say Monzon Pevel. Monzon Pevel. How many you, times you, does you he like, say it? Oh, do you he like the way it. he says it? No, oh. no, no. I, I really what? hope that we see McEwen and uh, Keenan calling again. Because just to hark back to Flanders, I thought Robbie's call with Matthew was unbelievably good. good. The detail that he gave where it's, okay, we're coming up to a turn, we're going to go right, and then we'll see a dog there. He knew everything that was happening. Yep. And, uh, and, and, and uh, it's really good to have someone with such local knowledge yeah. calling for, the race. For, for the European, I guess the European viewers get this because they have such a wealth of talent who've ridden these roads for so many years. Mm. And I think uh, we're get, we have that now with uh, with Robbie and of course we got Hank and mm. you know and then Matthew doing his thing as backbone it's um the commentary is significantly good um and it's the best thing from an educational point of view for all of us because mm. we learn so much just by watching this coverage mm. yeah. so what's the plan for this Sunday do we know who's calling it yes it's it's Matthew and Robbie again Woo-hoo. and we're gonna have Hank um chomping on some cherry ripes in the studio and Tomo basically trying to keep it all together and uh, that it it should be good. Um, keep all the cherry ripes together. Yeah, that's right. To keep yep. the cherry ripes together. Yep. Uh, so we'll we'll have a repeat of what we had on Flanders, but uh, with uh, hopefully a, a significant degree of unpredictability, which would make the commentary even more interesting. I'm just going back through. I'm just trying to remember. Did McEwen ever really ride Roubaix? Yeah. No. I know he oh. did quite a few Flanders because yeah. it was yeah, his. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got. Uh, in fact, we just um, we just put up a clip on the on the website. From 2011, when Robbie rode uh, Roubaix with uh, Radio Shack as okay. he was closing out his career. Yeah, right. Yeah, so post race post interview. And it was never really his thing, though. No. I mean, Flanders and Roubaix. But he's such a bike handler. He, it yeah. could have worked out. Yeah. That, that's why, he finished, he, he, you, know, he, you know, like his, he came from BMX and he, he held that bike handling through his career. And then I spoke, for example, there's other obvious candidates for a race like Roubaix, like... Um, the perennial crowd favourite in um, Australian, uh, uh, with, excuse me, Adam Hansen, mm-hmm. who is uh, has a mountain bike background, has all of the, the the traits of a big warrior who could smash over the cobbles and come out the other side, maybe riding into the velodrome on his own. But he told me earlier this year that although he'd very much like to do it, he he's now this is where he begins his prep for his Grand Tour, Grand Tour trio. And uh, he's sat out Roubaix for a number of years because of that. Um, so he's going to keep that theme going of doing the Giro Tour Vuelta. Mm-hmm. Um, at, he's not ruling out riding Roubaix before the end of his career and he still thinks he's got another six or seven years, even though he's 35. So just, just mm. for interest's sake, that's just a reference that I've had to an interview earlier this year about the race. Uh, are we going to talk about who the favourites are? Well, this is what I was just about to come to because some of the teams have some very interesting riders and some interesting potential. Uh, Dimension Data, for example, Bosenhagen, mm-hmm. uh, they've got Eisel working as an engine, mm-hmm. and then, of course, Cavendish, which is kind of interesting. 
Um, That's so rad that Cav would do it. Yeah. What's yeah. He, is he just sort of he's just doing, doing Madisons and doing yeah. all he's sorts had the of most <laughs> interesting cycling year I can pos- I can I can remember in a and long time. And he missed out by a bee's dick last night. There was not much in it. Yeah. Uh, the, the photo finish showed what a, a tyres with Jamie. Yeah. Well, then, despite the fact, um, I don't know. I think Kittle showed that he was significantly faster than Cavendish there because Cavendish was coming from behind and had the advantage of coming from behind Kittle and getting that slipstream, but Kittle still managed to hold him off in a fair sprint. So I, th- oh, I think... Oh, right. It... What, what, sorry, I was watching the Basque Country <laughs> Tour before I came <laughs> to the studio. So this is Shell 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 Oh, okay. Which is yeah, classic. Yeah, okay. So we had... The, the finish was uh, was Kittle, Cav, and... Um, Greipel. Yeah. A Greipel. So top notch. But Greipel quite miles behind compared. Yes. Well, we, we saw last season that Greipel really came good during the Tour de France because he um, staged his season to not include the t- Tour Down Under and he started his season a lot later. So mm. he's he's aiming to go well at the Tour de France again, I'd, I'd wager. Yeah. yeah. I reckon Cav has put, like, the cycling calendar, like track, road, whatever, Olympics on it you know, pinata, he's blindfolded himself <laughs> and he just sticks a pin yeah. wherever. He just gets it and then, you know. I'll, I'll do that one. Yeah, 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 wherever it lands. Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. <laughs> um, team Joan Alperson, uh, going to be difficult for them because their main man is out and we know how that team is. Uh, that team has um, been pretty well wrecked um, for the early part of the year. Uh, Orca Green Edge, uh, they've got Durbo and Cuclier. Cuclier is a chance for a top 10, as always, I reckon. Belgium, Belgium's got about 15 million riders in the race who could win uh, and not win. Uh, most of the guys who probably won't win are ethics quick step riders. Uh, no, I'm just saying that. I'm being facetious because I actually think if the conditions are not good, I think this is where the experience of a rider like Tom Bonin might come into play. Or the handling ability of somebody like Zidnet, Zidnet Stibar. Yes, yep, absolutely. Uh, just absolutely murdered his name. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What about Yohini Hitorovic, the old Belarusian? Yeah. Yeah, he's up there on everyone's favourite list, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. we'll put him in the yeah. dark he's, horse he's not, category. He's not <laughs> Chilingi. Martin Chilingi, he's been on the Chilingi, podium, yes. and this is yeah. his last race. It's his farewell. That'd be um, cool, wouldn't it? We're looking at a bunch of Frenchies. Um, they got anything for this one? You said... Yeah. Uh, well, they got Tamar, don't they? Who's already yeah, won Demar. a yeah. uh, monument this season. Is he going it's back? True. Is he going back? Seven oh, L. Afredo. Remember that classic Afredo uh, yeah. moment in uh, Paris-Roubaix a few years ago when he uh, looked behind to the team car and promptly run into some road furniture? <laughs> Spectacular. Uh, it was off the cobbles, so maybe not everyone was paying attention, but it was still pretty rad. Yeah, a few more Frenchies. Uh, Sebastian Turgeot always goes well in Roubaix. I don't know why, because he never does anything the rest of the year. No, but um, he's got the, he's the build. Yeah, he's well, I mean, he's, he's a classic build for um, Roubaix. But he looks this like is the bricklayer. Li- this is literally yeah. the one race where he, he can do something. Yeah, this yeah, is, yeah. this is basic. That's a good point, Rob. This is the bricklayer's bike race. Speaking of bricklayers, Ian Stannard. Oh, man. Yeah. I, I tweeted during Flanders, oh, look at that, he ate a gel, because I actually <laughs> wouldn't have been surprised if he pulled out a brick and just started, you know, chomping down on it. He, is, he was a machine again the other day. Yeah, wouldn't it be I'm cool? I would love to see on him. Yeah. I'll put $5 yeah. on him. I, I, I'd, I'd sneak in a little bit on Lars Boom as well myself. Mm-hmm. Lars, I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If, if the conditions are poor. 
I think Why teamwork not? is going to play a much bigger part in um, Roubaix than we saw in Flanders. I mean, we had in Flanders, it's all about the legs that you have to have to win it. Roubaix, sure, you need the legs, but team tactics come into it a lot more as well, which is why we saw Terp- Terpstra win a few years ago because mm-hmm. he was mm-hmm. able to attack and just Bonin was sitting on in the group and they didn't want to chase as much. So who who's it? Ed, Ed, Edic's going to ride for T- Tony Martin, Tom Boone, and Steve Barr. Yeah, this is this, see, this is the Edic's <laughs> QS conundrum. Yeah, yeah. Mm. What do they do? They've got six, potentially six leaders, and then they all saying, telling Lefebvre they've got great form, and uh, Lefebvre just basically shuts the radio off and lets them do whatever, and then they do do whatever. So let's they'll just do as they've done the last few years, just give it a free-for-all for whoever comes out out in front. Remember Tony Martin won the cobbled stage of the tour last year? Okay, it was dry, but I was at the finish and the emotion that came out of that team was spectacular. It was pretty amazing. I was literally at the fence when Tony finished, came to a grinding halt, and he just unclicked from his bike and, and he was still had his arms in the air and he, he just sort of unclicked and just stepped off the bike and uh, and then he was surrounded by everyone from that team who pretty much could have won that stage mm. and the same will apply for Sunday. Yeah. I'd quite like yeah. to see Tony Martin have a good Roubaix. That'd be right. Uh, seven Mark. Yeah. He's going to be on the podium. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But not win. But not win. Not win. He doesn't... If he won, it'd be make people happy. Well, why not? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, f- I think he's better suited to the cobbles of Roubaix than um, the Hellingen of Flanders. So I, I'd put him up there with a significant winning chance. The problem is his team, not very strong. I yeah. mean, Lotto, they're, they're not mm-hmm. going to have many riders go into the final and he's going to have to do it all himself. I would I think Stannard's a really good chance of winning with that Team Sky looking really strong. Mm-hmm. With Luke Rowe, who came fifth at Flanders, I mean, it's going to be a really tough ask to keep Stannard out. Standard out, I'd say. What are we thinking about um, Alex Christoph? He's got to be. He's good. been quiet, hasn't he? Yeah. Uh, but was he? What was he fourth? Fourth? Yeah, in, yeah. Uh, he Flanders. Flanders. Yeah. Yeah. So he led the bunch home. Mm. He's definitely protected. There were katushas everywhere. Mm. They're sort of all relatively anonymous compared to Christoph. But um, yeah, I don't know. And of course, um, Sagan. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Getting back to Christoph, I mm. think he might be. A, if it is a wet Roubaix, I don't think he's got that agility to to handle the Pave. It's quite different. The yeah, you speak to anyone about the pros about you know riding the 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 cobbles of Flanders versus the Pave Roubaix. It's, it's completely different. I I don't see Christoph doing well on. A wet day there. Well, yeah, he crashed two years ago and then last year he looked um, a bit flat, I suppose, in the finale when Degenkolb was making all his moves. So yeah. I, I agree with you, Tony. I can't see Christoph winning unless it's like a big, bigger bunch that comes into the mm-hmm. finish. I mean, but then, yeah, Phil Sagan, I mean, <laughs> he's, 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 he's going to be perfect for it. I mean, a lot of the reason why he, he does so well is, is because he, he manages to avoid crashes where nine times out of ten riders would crash. He's mm-hmm. he's just very good. Yes. At Look at Milan San Remo, how he saved yeah. that. Yeah. And if yeah. he, and, and, and the, the big battle of Roubaix is to get to the Pave sector in a position where you're not going to be hindered by other bike riders. And he's got the speed to sprint to the, get to the front. Mm. He's generally said, well... Actually, he wasn't very well supported in his win on Flanders, but um, no. uh, they've thrown up Bodnar as a, as a potential helper for him and uh, that, that could work. But he seems to be able to ride off other people's wheels. He can get to the position. Then when he's on the cobbles, nothing seems to knock him off. Yeah.
He's mm. it's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. He's kind of like the Robbie McEwen of the classics, really, in the way he just kind of does his own thing. Thanks. He surfs yeah. off the other teams. Mm. Now, uh, Australian hopes will lie with Heinrich Hausler and also Luke Durbridge. Um, Heinrich's a chance for a top ten. I don't think... Luke's kind of weird at the moment. I, I, I just, I see. I'm actually quite disappointed in the way Luke Durbridge's career has uh, has played out. Um, I had expected more from him, uh, given the tools that he had as a younger rider and, mm-hmm. and the potential. It looked like he had as a younger rider. I think he's, um, he's. Uh, I won't say gone backwards, but I think he's he's sort of settled. Yeah, he, at, he could have uh, been OG an awesome. He could have been an awesome not classics rider. Uh, Your thoughts well, on this, Rob? Yeah. Because I mean, you know, you you talk to these guys. And yeah, I talk. I actually we am I wrong? Chat, we were to talk the other day, but he was just going for a training ride because mm. I wanted to find out. He was, by my calculations, the first Australian finisher in Flanders, but that was about seventy fifth position. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he, when he started his career, yeah, he did seem to have that sort of uh, bulk of a classics rider. But he's also let's be he's such a healthy domestique for that team he does a lot of work behind the scenes he might not be winning at the moment but like and but he has won and had an emphatic win at the nationals you know so he and he's progressed i don't think the progression's halted at all he's still going to get up there in results i don't know if he's going to win roubaix i don't think he'd claim that that's sort of something that he could achieve i know he'd like to but so would pretty much everyone who starts (laughs) yeah i'd like to win (laughs) I'd like to. <laughs> <laughs> I just want that rock, really, above above the, the fireplace. Place. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't know. I think um, as we as we approach Roubaix, I'm just going to put a little shout out to CJ Sutton, who's no longer racing as a professional. He's, he's out with a back injury, and his, his years as a as a professional bike rider are done. But there was a time when he had the view to trying to get in the top ten of Roubaix, and he used to talk about it. And we haven't heard, you know, he's just sort of faded away because Sky just basically didn't renew his contract. Mm-hmm. He's injured, and that was the end of it. But th- and that happens a lot with bike riders, where you know. It was, Halcyon time and it's suddenly poof gone up in a in a back injury, mm-hmm. uh, and and uh, why am I talking about CJ when we're talking about Luke Durbridge? I don't know. Just there's a whole oh, raft of oh. young guys who could come through, who you know like it would be nice if it wasn't an Olympic year. I'd say that someone like Michael Hepburn could get in there and really, you know, chew on some cobbles and see see where he ends up. Mm. Um, but I think that'll come probably after team mm. pursuit duties are done and dusted in Rio and he might sort of try and transform himself. But he has that sort of bricklayer's physique, you know, someone who could really smash over and do that sort of stuff. Heinrich doesn't look like a Roubaix rider, but Heinrich doesn't look like uh, a, a rider who would excel in the places where he, he does. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's true. That's He's just true. fantastic. I, you know, that would be an amazing ride if, if Hausler could do something good in Roubaix. Yeah, yeah he's, he's, he's looking all right. I mean, again, like I'll say, there's there's quite a few element. There is an element of luck involved, so it, it's uh, it's quite possible. It's just like San Remo. They say 100 guys can win San Remo. I think 100 guys can win Roubaix. On that note, we have to stop. Give us your top three. Oh, uh, Stannard, Seabar, uh, Cancellara. Mm. I'm going to just go out on a limb, let my heart talk. I just, I'd love to see Bernie Isle win. Why not? Just chuck it out there. We haven't seen a lot of him. Nice guy. Uh, second place, Turgo. And then third place will go to someone like, uh, looking at a name, 
Fat Guy Cancellara. Okay. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, Tanny stole my top three, so... Um, oh. Just, oh. Say it, just say it anyway. <laughs> I, I mean, it. yeah. Just because someone orders the steak doesn't mean you can't have a well, steak. Okay. <laughs> well, I'll get, I'll get rid of Stieber because Eddicks have been atrocious this classic season, and um, and I'll put in uh, Van Mark instead. He's he's good, solid rider. Sip. That's cool. Okay. That's Thanks a lot. What about what about your oh my pick? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, right, right. oh yeah, yeah. Sagan, uh, I'm I'm gonna go with the predictable, and I think that the mm. the guys who finished in the top three at uh, yeah, you're at just Flanders gonna, you're just gonna, gonna do a, a Flanders top three. They're gonna they're gonna do it again yeah, in Roubaix. Yeah. Right. yeah, that's highly likely. Right. That's Good call. The, I'm I'm just going with the you know with the. Yeah. That's the form outcomes, you know. Yeah. So, I chucked Bernie but just I like, I I like Lars Boom. Yeah. I, I, I absolutely. <laughs> that was so yeah, that's right. That was a random. <laughs> I like Lars Boom. At least he didn't and, say CJ Sutton. I mean, that would have been ridiculous. Yeah. And uh, and I also like um, and I like Ian Standard, obviously. And and Standard would be a fairy tale win, yeah. which would be great. Yeah. Now, um, before we go, Martin Chalingi. Martin Chalingi. That's right. That'd be fairy tale. That uh, that's gonna pretty well ra- wrap it up for us. Uh, we're pretty pretty close to to, to finishing this thing. Um, I want to just give you guys a reminder of uh, what we have coming up on Sunday night, as far as the uh, broadcast details are concerned. Uh, for the first time ever, uh, the race will be broadcast from start to finish. That's never happened before. Um, but what we'll be doing, we'll be bringing you the action live online first for the first two hours. That starts at six thirty p.m. at the website. A-E-S-T. That's so early. Right. And then... That is... What what are you trying to turn cycling into test cricket? That's pretty much it. (laughs) (laughs) And then... It's a day night. The TV broadcast... After the first innings. We're also doing a change. The TV broadcast will not be on SBS main channel. The TV broadcast will be on SBS 2. They're scheduling reasons for that uh, because the race is going to be a long one. And there we'll be starting at 8.30 p.m. That's 6.30 p.m., in the West. So you get to have this, you get to watch cycling over dinner in Western Australia. And of course, we'll be doing that uh, with uh, with Tomo, Robbie, Hank, and Matthew Keenan. So join us then on Sunday night. Thank you for listening. <laughs>